0: Podcast: Everything you never needed to know about movies, music, and theater. I am your host, uh, Matt, and I wish that things—I was doing these things on a, a kind of—I um, wish I was coming to you, talking to you all on a uh, a more happier occasion. But unfortunately, we all know heard the news that um, Mr. Stephen Sondheim um, passed on. and gave his ghost up to God um and it's it's actually really sad I mean he was 91 years old this man um and you cannot whether you like him or not and there are plenty of people who don't care for his um musicals his style you know his um you know the way he goes about it but he informed a good amount of creators and a lot of people have considered him to be almost like the dean musical theater and basically made musical theater what it is Um, and as um, this wasn't an original idea but someone said that he did it by experimenting with form and with content and he but he you have to also kind of think about where he came from so um, he was a protege of Oscar Hammerstein and Oscar Hammerstein taught him everything that he knew basically of um, Broadway musicals and how to write musicals, Um, in fact. So this is a story that is well-documented, but basically um, Sondheim with a couple of friends um, wrote a musical when he was still in, um, you know, like college um, and, or actually uh, would have been high school. And he actually brought a copy of it to Oscar Hammerstein and wanted him to produce it as if it was a um like a regular show and he thought he was going to be the first 15 year old kid to have a show on broadway uh, produced by rox and uh hammerstein and hammerstein listened to everything read the whole thing and uh sometimes said treat me as if you you know you didn't know me he says in that case it's the worst thing i've ever read but he said it, it, it's not that it's not talented here's what's wrong with it, and he went through every minute detail, so much so that they were there for the entire day, basically trying to deconstruct musical theater, and that element of of a mentor basically saying, you're talented, but you don't know the form, and breaking it down for him, I mean uh Sondheim has said in that afternoon he learned more about songwriting and musical theater than most people learn in a lifetime and it shows and uh Hammerstein then subsequently created a course for Sondheim to learn how to construct musicals which is one that I use that I used in terms of my learning how to write musicals and that I encourage young people to do anytime I'm teaching or anything and um the, basically write four different types of musicals. The first one being based on a play that you admire. So Sondheim chose um, um, a play by George S. Kaufman and Mark uh, uh, Connolly, uh, Beggar on Horseback. Be, um, write a musical based on a play that you like, but it's flawed. And Sondheim chose um, Maxwell Anderson's High Tour um write a musical based on an existing novel or short story not previously dramatized and funny enough Sondheim chose Mary Poppins um which he has said that he number one couldn't get the rights but he also couldn't couldn't solve the structural problems of um Mary Poppins um which might, might be why um uh Travers hated the Disney version of it so much, and then write an original, which was *Climb High*. None of these really got professionally done, but it taught him a lot about how to do how to do this. And obviously, as you can tell, he was still working up until you know he had, they had just had a reading of a new musical called *Square One*, which there's been no talk about whether or not that will continue. He wrote it with David Ives and um, they had a reading of it, but I can only imagine when they got into production, he would have changed things and rewrote things as one does with musical theater. So there's no word yet if that has continued, um, but we're going to talk about songtime tonight. And what I've done is I've decided to take all of his major works and pick one song from each. So how I usually do, I mean, I want to do, break all these musicals down individually but I don't have that kind of time and you know y'all don't want to be listening to this for three hours so um so what I'm I've done is I've created I we're going to play one song probably my favorite song from each of these musicals or um a song that means the most to me or what have you and talk a little bit about the musical itself um and not do a too deep dive into the history or to anything else like that just because you know um again we don't have that kind of time and there's so many musicals and so many songs we should play i'm going to start off by playing one song from so the overture that you heard is probably the best overture of any of sundime's musicals merrily we roll along um if anyone wants to find out more about merrily we roll along there's a wonderful documentary called the best worst thing that could have ever happened which is on netflix and it's uh, directed by lonnie price and i'll be pointing out other uh, documentaries or books that you can find. And the other thing that I have here too, that I don't know if many people know about this, but there's a book, Sondheim wrote two books um, of his annotated lyrics. One is Finishing the Hat, and the second is Look, I Made a Hat. And these are really educational and really, really wonderful. And he breaks down all of, his, his basically how to write a show in three um three three um uh, rules like three ways like you cannot write a bad show if you follow these rules god is in the details less is more in content dictates form and the thing i've i've stated on the show more than once is not enough writers of musical theater now take time to think about why something should be a musical they instantly just say oh that's a great property like you know a a movie or something but they don't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out why this should be a musical like why should Legally Blonde be a musical why should Shrek be a musical not enough people do that I mean a lot of times if they do then that's why they turn out to be as great as they are you know uh, Derry-Rodden Scoundrels is a great example but um when you don't, that's when you get into Shrek territory, and you know, trying to figure out why this is a musical. So I'm going to play this one tune, which um, I think is one of uh, Sondheim's uh, greatest tunes.
1: All right, tough, I don't make that a crime. And while it's gone. It a lot and still i say it could have kept on growing instead of just kept on we had a good
2: thing going
1: going
0: Anyway, so the first musical we're gonna highlight is West Side Story. Now, obviously, one should realize that this is being re- remade right now. And actually, as we I'm recording tonight, um, critics are hailing the remake, Spielberg's remake, and uh, Sondheim himself um, was hailing it. And for those who like the original movie, good on you, I, you know, we take nothing against you. I never cared for the original, I really didn't. It wasn't something that I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I mean, unfortunately, um, Greeks playing Puerto Ricans is not exactly the most uh, wonderful thing. I mean, the production, I talked to this before, but the production I did in high school, it was all a bunch of, um, besides myself, obviously, um, not Hispanics playing the Hispanics and so much so that some of them had to be made up in brown skin which is kind of problematic at this time. Um, but the, So West Side Story was the first show he had, he did on Broadway to Leonard Bernstein's um, music and he was 25, 24, 25 when he had that first show put on, that, which is quite amazing if you think about it in, in that respects. Um, and he does cringe about the lyrics. He says he kind of faced an uphill battle with writing the lyrics, because Leonard Bernstein, uh, his idea of poetry, and Sondheim's idea of poetry were two separate things. Um, but I'm going to play you the one song he says he is totally proud of him. He does enjoy. Um, and I believe it's in the upcoming um, movie, which will, will be interesting how Spielberg uh, um, rolls it into the into the show so i'm um so this this one's called um something's something's coming so this is when um kind of tony is looking for the next thing to happen it's kind of the i want song and um classic classic i want song basically so could be
1: something do any day, I will know right away, soon as it shows, it make them cannonballing down through the sky, gleaming its eye, bright as a rose, who knows, it's only just out of reach, down a block on a beach, under a tree,
3: I got a feeling there's a miracle due, gonna come true,
1: coming to me. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something good. If I can wait, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it
0: is gonna be great. So I thought also kind of poo poo's West Side Story because he says there's no characters in West Side Story. It's basically just um ideas and thoughts and, and things, which is kind of interesting. But again, it was. It was um, seemingly well received, um, although um, the, the 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 line of um, "you can't hum any of the tunes" bothers time to this day, which is really funny. Um, but that was his first entry onto uh, Broadway and into musical theater, and talk about a um, a entrance into musical theater to say the least. Um, But that's how he started. He was 24, 25, writing the lyrics for this and getting to work with Leonard Bernstein and Jerome Robbins. I mean, that's, you know, that's the high country, man. Um, I should also mention that this... So I am recording this live. So um, um, there was supposed to be an audience for right now. It's just me talking to myself. So we'll continue until people... If anyone ever shows up, but if not, then I'll just keep talking and uh, this will be like one of the first. um, Like the very beginning of this podcast when I didn't have any guests on so we just have to deal with it. Anyway, from there, he moved on to his next um, assignment again. You have to imagine that he
2: like, (laughs) he, you know, so. he
0: didn't want to just write lyrics, he always wanted to write music and lyrics. And so um, Arthur Lawrence and uh, Jerome Robbins came with him with an idea after Irving Berlin and Cole Porter had turned it down. And Sondheim thought it was a great idea and wanted to do it. But the actress um, had just done a show with relatively new um, writers. And so she was very, very, concerned, and so she wanted a seasoned composer into it. So Sondheim, again, was very frustrated with the idea that he would not be able to write music. But again, Oscar Hemside, who also uh, convinced him to do West Side Story, basically said, this would be good for you because you have to learn to write for a star. And that was Gypsy with Ethel Mermuth. And so uh, we can listen to a song that Sondheim for intents and purposes, sketched out for um, Jules Stein, Julie Stein. And uh, basically it's kind of the way that Sondheim, and you would, <laughs> it become, it, 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 um, a lot of what's in this song ends up becoming massively related to what Sondheim does on his own. So this is almost like a sneak peek into the music of Sondheim even though he's just credited for uh for the lyrics. Bye. GOT IT! rose's turn which i love this song um it's right up there with um with um you know i don't care for some a lot of these songs and jump see is not one of my favorite um shows but i do like some of the songs and uh oh small world small world isn't it it's a, just a lovely little tune um but this was his second show um with lyrics and talk about something nuts that uh, you go from west side story to gypsy and he's learning this whole like there's nothing like learning on the job as they say um and that that run of uh of um that that run that's playing right now of uh mom is has run and loose mom is running free that is the what i think of so that's what i feel like a kind of Building and rep- uh, repetition and uh, you know that uh, that type of um, um, continuation and, and that kind of breakdown, if you will, because she's basically having a mental breakdown with this. Um, but yeah, Rose's turn from Gypsy again, not one of my favorite musicals um, ever, but you know. Um, but anyway, we're so let's move on. So. He did finally get to (laughs) write um, music for um, the theater and musical that cemented his name in the musical theater. Well, I wouldn't say cemented it, but it was his entry in music and lyrics is a musical that he wrote with Bert Sheveloff and Larry Galbard and starred Zero Mostel. The version we're going to hear is Nathan
3: Light. Everybody ought to have, from everybody ought to have Everybody ought to have a meal consistently, a congenial Wouldn't she be delicious, tidying up the dishes, neat as a pin? Oh, oh, oh! wouldn't she be delightful, sweeping out, sleeping in? Everybody on the camp of everybody ought to camp someone who you hire when you're short of to walk by you.
0: So Sondheim has said that this is basically him being a, <laughs> a smart ass to say the least. Um, but you know, it's a funny musical and Sondheim fully admits that the musical itself, um the play, like basically the book is the funniest part, and the songs basically just allow the audience to breathe in between the, the humor. Um but at the time it won six Tony Awards and ran for uh, 964 performances, which was the longest Broadway run of any show um, for which Sondheim would write both music and lyrics. So there is some lasting um, um, quality to it. Um, Moving on, this next, so the next two musicals are not like, so the next one, um, Sondheim has said that, uh it's again him being it's basically written by the two smartest people in the in the class um and i don't know it as well as anyone anyone else does but you know it's one of those musicals that you kind of like um okay that exists you know
1: Everybody says don't, everybody says don't, it isn't right
3: Don't, it isn't
1: nice Everybody says don't, everybody says don't, everybody says don't walk on the grass Don't disturb the peace, don't skate on the ice Well, I say do I say walk on the grass, it was meant to feel I say sail
3: Tilt at the windmill And if you fail, you fail Everybody says don't, everybody
1: says don't, everybody says don't get out of line. When they say that, then lady, that's a sign. Nine times
2: out of ten, lady, you are
0: doing just fine. So these are still him kind of experimenting, but not to the extent that it becomes um successful or anything like that. Like uh, anyone can this musical is anyone can miss so they wrote with a lot of arms and uh Lee Remick and Angela Lansbury uh, started it, and it wasn't a big hit, it was not even a hit, it ran the shortest time, but he has said he enjoyed writing it, and it it, it didn't feel like a waste of his life. Um, The next musical that we're going to talk about, um, he thinks was a waste of his um, time, Um, because, so one of the big things that Sondheim talks about, even now, is why should a, a musical exist? It can't just exist because of, you know, um, because of IP or because of, you know, and to write a musical from the money is not the reason to write a musical. You know, you're gonna spend two or three years of your life on this one piece. You better love it. You better love the idea or love the concept or just want to be, want to do it for some reason. And so, um, You know, so it's it's really um, it's really that that's a matter of of, of, that's what he looks for. He looks for things that he loves. And this next one, he openly has said he did it for the money. He did it because Arthur was asking him to do it, and he did it to pay off his debt to Oscar Hammerstein, who has passed away at this point, for his promise to write a musical with Richard Rodgers. This is do I hear a waltz? The song we're listening to is we're going to be all right but
1: every wound is treatable we won't go under we're gonna be all right don't see how we can miss our team is undefeatable i wouldn't wonder we're gonna be all right Going. Hey babe, let's have a kiss. Remember we're unbeatable. We're gonna blunder. We're gonna hold on to
0: So why here waltz was coolly accepted, it was very graciously accepted, it wasn't land-based, but it also had no heart. Um <laughs> Sondheim is basically referred to it as a stillborn, that it's just it has no life, no nothing. And um the question of why did it not work because um because it was a question on. Um, I guess Oscar Hammerstein had knew about the play *Time of the Cuckoo*, which it was based off of, and it was interested in musicalizing it. But um, obviously, died. But Sondheim did say that um, Richard Rodgers' alcoholism was a problem. Um, you know, he uh, he just it it just didn't all well work, and the personalities didn't fit. So um, it was very uh, sad that it didn't work out. Um, and again, it's this musical is not one of those musicals that I'm kinda like, oh my god, it's such an amazing musical. It's it's not it's it's not revived a lot, it's not remembered really much. I mean my mother loves it, but you know, um, that doesn't mean any of things, unfortunately. Um, but you know, I don't care for the Again, I don't care for the musical. So before he gets into the big, big stuff, we, he did a musical for television, um, which was um, not many people know this one, but it was evening uh, primrose. And basically he, it was about a, I think it was a guy who takes solace in us uh, in a, um, shopping mall and the characters start coming to life and but the music is actually quite beautiful. Um uh there's a song I remember which I love that that song but the one I'm gonna play is the one that I kind of think about anytime I think about the show uh called Take Me to the World.
4: Let me see the
1: world with clouds take me to the world out where I can push.
2: Take me to the world
0: Can tell up until now, but the man knows how to write beautiful melodies and beautiful tunes, and it's all to inform the characters. Like this is clearly a um the love interest within Evening Primrose, and um she she has a beautiful this beautiful soul on it's absolutely gorgeous and wonderful. So clearly there's um emotion to it and i mean sondheim has said that he approaches songwriting as if he's an actor and that he is taking on that character which allows him to write for that character which is absolutely amazing and really kind of straightforward or uh obvious if you think about it in that respects um so if you if, if all songwriters did that um, you wouldn't be able to write a bad song I don't think but that's my opinion on that Um, so we're going to get into the big one so at this point he now um, connects up with um, Hal Prince who he's known for a good portion of his life so far and um, and Hal Prince was basically a producer for the most part but now he becomes a director and this show from George Firth, which was basically a bunch of one acts, um came came to help Prince and Suntime and they said, Let's make it into a musical, which became company. Yesterday,
4: it's a city of spring. just
0: got off of the tray. So we're talking about company and i am thankful to welcome someone to the actual live show uh, ms lisa san
2: pascal nice to,
0: nice to see you nice to see you too so we we're in the middle of talking about so basically what i've been doing is talking about going through each show and playing my favorite song in each of the each of the shows so we're on to company which i was saying For those who don't know, Company was basically Sondheim's big experimental. Like that's the one that is quintessential Sondheim. It's what you kind of think of as his like first big show. And it wasn't his first show, but it's where he was given all kinds of autonomy. The show has no plot. It basically takes it. Sondheim has described it as taking place within a metaphysical birthday party and basically taking place in like a minute And so all of the songs he says are basically comments on things that are happening, but they don't move plot forward and they don't move character forward, which is exactly what he um, um, learned from Oscar Hammerstein, Um, but it was his entrance and he won Tony's for both music and lyrics. Yes, they gave lyrics separately to music and lyrics back in that time. and it's one of those shows, I think I'm getting to the point where I might be too old to be Bobby, but it's one of those shows I would love to play Bobby had I had the chance. Um, Lisa, do you have any thoughts on Company?
4: I don't think you're too old. <clears throat> he turns 35, right?
0: I'm so almost there. I'm almost over there. No, you, <laughs> you, are,
4: you could totally play Bobby. I actually was in Company. I played. Um, I played Susan in college okay um so she was a southern belle who was you know divorcing her her gay
2: husband oh I that's
4: right divorce. it was such a blast it was such a hilarious role to play um yeah. i i was reading or listening to something about sondheim describing company and apparently he and i don't know if this is just no i don't know if it's when he's collaborating with a certain writer but i apparently he tries to have like a secret metaphor that it's just in the back of his mind that he kind of works through the the play Mm
2: -hmm. and
4: um i read somewhere that for company his little metaphor was um something about manhattan being something about Sorry, I'm going to be so inarticulate right now. But it had something to do with with the island of Manhattan. That I know it sounds like West Side Story, but the island of Manhattan being a really lonely place, and he played with the idea of of kind of like this island, yeah. in And you can see that, you know.
0: I, I think I, I think I've heard that because because obviously Bobby himself is kind of isolating himself throughout the entire show, and it's not until the very end that a kind of decision is made, but not one that is... Sondheim doesn't give you all the answers at the very end of like, what is gonna happen? It's just literally a microcosm within the life of this one character. And he has said that um, there is no endings, things keep going, which is kind of what I've taken from him as a a writer myself. Um, And I think the greatest thing is that um, someone described, compared Sondheim to Gershwin, that um, George Gershwin basically played with the idea of New York and the city as a plaything, as something that's just fun and entertaining. And Sondheim talks about it being more of isolation and kind of lost, and you can't find yourself. And where another hundred people, like I just played, mm-hmm. uh, c- come off the train, and it's just another hundred people and another hundred people, and no one has any kind of connection to any anyone. So I feel like Sondheim is always. A character who wants to find connection, but at the same time is very much a loner, which I think mm-hmm. is what Bobby Bobby pretty much is and all the characters within company seem to be independent loners
2: mm-hmm.
0: that have and some of them just happen to be in relationships, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you can easily deconstruct Sondheim mm-hmm. there have been millions millions of books not just Sondheim himself writing his annotated um, um books but a million different books about um what all these mean and what have you and recently they just did a gender swap with the character of Bobby uh, being yeah. spelled B-O-B-B-I mm-hmm. and I think that's amazing and I love the I, fact, yeah. fact that I that agree. Katrina I, I love the fact that Katrina Lenk is uh the lead and you know, she was so wonderful in um um, the band's visit that you know it was just absolutely uh, uh, brilliant and I guess he rewrote some of the lyrics but um, obviously before before he passed so you know yeah, he, yeah. He, he called out on it but um, anyway so we yeah so we were I was talking about the previous shows West Side Story, Gypsy, Funny Thing, Anything Can Happen, Do I Hear Waltz, uh, Evening Primrose so we're up to company and I was saying that this is kind of where his career kind of hits the pedal and starts moving forward at a breakneck speed because before he was kind of playing with things and trying to find himself within the context of musical theater but now it's kind of like I'm in musical theater and this is what I'm going to do I'm going to play with structure so if you do a metaphysical non-linear musical like company obviously the next thing you're going to do is going to be Uh, you're not sure what you're going to do next. Well, Sondheim decided he wanted to do, again, non-linear, metaphysical, this time as a reunion with James uh, Goldman in Follies. Um, And the song I'm going to play is, again, I love these songs, and this, again, Sondheim has always said he doesn't have any trunk songs, but for me, this reminds me a lot of some songs later in his uh, uh, career. Leave you, leave you,
2: how could I leave you? How could I go it alone? Could I wave the ears away with a quick goodbye?
1: How do you wipe tears away when your eyes are dry? sweetheart lover could i recover give up the joys i have known not to fetch your pills again every day at five not to give those dinners for ten elderly men from the u.n how could i survive could i of martyred looks cryptic sighs, sullen glares from those injured eyes leave the quips with the sting jokes with the sneer passionless love making once a year leave the lies ill-concealed and the wounds never healed and the game's not worth winning and wait i'm just beginning
0: so if you hear that i hear the witch's lament hmm the, yeah. the 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 rolling of the um you know uh you're so nice you're not good you're not bad you're just nice yeah and, and the same thing um you know uh well you could leave me the house you could you know obviously oh, sometimes yeah. it's it's not borrowing from himself but he he has spoken about his method that he makes lists of things so everything feels very topical for what the person would be talking about you know the 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 um The character clearly, uh, you know, south of France, living the high life and then just being like, "Out, you can take all that. I don't want any of that shit. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know that much about Follies as much as I'd like to. I've read it multiple times and I know that it's been rewritten several times, so I don't have much of an opinion on it. And also I'm kind of too young to play any of the characters, so I might (laughs) have more of an opinion on it when I'm in my... 50s and 60s, but um, um, yeah. Do, do you have any opinion on the uh,
2: on uh, I don't Follies? know. So
4: same with you, Matt. I don't know Follies as well as I'd like to. There was an article in the New York Times recently. I know it sounds so like pretentious, but there was <laughs> one about Follies, and um, it was fascinating. And what strikes me is, is Follies is a Broadway show about Broadway shows, and it's also about um, aging, which feels which feels so taboo. I mean, I'm 37, yeah. so in brought in like showbiz age, that's like 50, 60. <laughs> so I feel like I could probably play one of these characters over the next couple of years. But um, anyway, it's just I I love how Sondheim breaks through to the, the things that it's kind of meta. You know, it's kind of like never shining you know re, re, the reflection of ourselves you know as we're listening to the show and like what do we think about what do we think about all of this as we're sitting here watching a broadway show
0: yeah and i think i think he's meant to do that cuz he was he always says he doesn't want to he wants to entertain people but he doesn't want people to just sit back and be happy he wants people to think about his life and if you think about if you think about company and follies it's basically upper middle class and upper class people who go to the theater at that time that he says basically they were they went in the theater and they were their lives were thrown in their faces you know um uh uh all the money all the wealth they have the but then also looking into the fact that hey do you have a loveless marriage do you have a marriage that is you've taken for granted, and and people, you don't talk like you should do, and and all that, and you know, do our kids hate hate our, us, or are we have we not done what we were supposed to do, and the uh, the roads we didn't take, which is in, in folly. So there's a lot of kind of making the audience question their own selves. Yeah
4: which i think because it's giving voice to things that people actually do sometimes think and feel and we don't want to even express to even ourselves you know yeah But to hear people singing these songs you know and each song is like a journey nobody starts you know when they start the song they they are in a different place by the end of it
0: yes I, i i'm glad you brought that up that is the big thing that sondheim learned that each song should be like Like a scene in a play that a character is one way at the very beginning and then at the very end they've made a decision and they have either changed either just metaphysically or mentally or that they've changed in terms of what they are going to do for the foreseeable future. No song just exists just to be hits or just to be filler you know yeah. um <clears throat> Frank Wildhorn um, <laughs> you know I mean yeah. I it's I say I, I say it all the time I say it all the time but my biggest complaint I mean I love Frank Wildhorn's music but if you take like this is the moment wonderful song yeah but it doesn't culminate into anything because sure. before the song begins he's already decided that he's going to he's already decided you know so there's no reason for the song to exist um all right so now he goes from this now you'd think that two non-linear shows you'd think okay he's going to do some other kind of non-linear thing or whatever but instead he decided to do an entire show in three four in a waltz and not only like (laughs) not only do a show in waltz time but also bring it back in time and make it kind of a period piece, that's what this one is. So this is Little Night Music, um, like a Hugh Willa book. Again, all these are Al Prince directing. So, um, and Sondheim has said most of these came to him by way of Prince or by someone else that he didn't choose these, so um, mm-hmm. what have you. But this is, you can't have a Sondheim tribute show without this. <laughs> So this one is a great example of sondheim has talked about tailoring songs which i was talking about in the beginning that his early shows were training grounds for him because gypsy he has said when he wrote gypsy he didn't write gypsy the the story he wrote gypsy by way of ethel merman to basically write the show for a particular um singer actress to take advantage of their strengths and limit and uh, limit their weaknesses, send in the clowns. Perfect example of that. He has said Glennis Johns has a very w- lovely, delicate voice, but can't, but she could not sustain um, notes. So that's why he said that's why he, it was written this way. Um, Isn't it rich? Pause, pause. Take your mm-hmm. breath. Are we a pair? Pause, pause. Take your breath. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. he has said that. That's literally why this is so like this that was written and he also said that it changed during rehearsals because he was writing a song for the male character in this is a breakup so, uh, uh, scene so he was writing a song for the male and hal prince showed him the staging and that night he came he he, he wrote the song came back the next day and wrote it and it was for uh glennis johns and you know I think it goes on record that this is the most covered song of any of his career. Cause you know, after this, you had Judy Collins, you had Frank Sinatra, um, Berna Peters, even Barbara Streisand's sung this. There's a million versions of this song. Um, again, I don't know a little, night music as much as I should. I, I know the song and I know later, which Hendrix sings, which is really funny. Um, but I don't know this as much as I do. Do you have any thoughts on Lil, a little night music.
4: I, you know, this is the one I do not know at all, and I was what I was interested when you said that the whole show is written in three-four. Yeah. So, yeah, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, everything, everything, it's all in waltz time. Everything is waltz time, and um, yeah, it's it, and and again, it just shows like his. But again, the biggest thing uh, that I said at the very beginning is content. Content dictates form. Yeah. Um, less is more, and God is in the details. These are the three yeah. principles that he writes. He, what well, he he wrote, I, I, it's hard to say. It I know. Because, but he wrote, and that these are the things that people should look more at because part of, if you look at a show or look at a piece, you know, um, uh, Lisa's a writer also, but if you get an idea, the first thing that should be done is to see this idea how does this content dictate the form? Meaning if like Lisa had an idea for, you know, um, a guy or a woman running, you know, um, going through a normal day and then um, runs into an old friend and all this stuff happens, is it a play? Well, the way I just described it, it could be a movie. It could be written as a screenplay. but is it also a musical? How is music? Um, how does music elevate the story? How is it integral to the to the story? Right. Um, in the next couple of examples, it, it's it's clear why music is part of it. But and Sondheim has said you can put music in anything, but to make it a musical, music needs to be absolutely a part of it. And. Yeah you know, just saying that a show is called a little night music doesn't make it worthy of, of music itself. But, you know, that's what, you know, so that's kind of what that means. Um, so then Sondheim did a favor for Bert Sheveloff, um, who was directing a show <laughs> uh, from Aristophanes at a local, <laughs> at a college, um, In a swimming pool and this is absolutely true this is absolutely (laughs) true and so sondheim wrote a handful of songs it eventually got to broadway and the show started with this song
3: you who sit up there stern in judgment smile on us you who look down on actors and who doesn't bless this yearly festival and smile on us we offer you song and dance. We offer you rites and revels. We, we offer, offer you grace and beauty. Smile on us for this while, gods of the theater. Smile on us. You who sit out there, stern in judgment, smile on us. We offer you song and dance. We offer you rites and revels. We offer rebels. you gods we and we heroes. We offer you jokes and we insults, and, and pages, Barker and social comment. comment. Bless our play and smile. Yes, but first, some do's and don'ts. Mostly don'ts. Please don't cough. It tends to throw the actors off. Have some respect for Aristophanes. And please don't cough. Don't say what to every line you think you haven't got. And if you're in a snit because you've missed the plot, which I must admit there's not an awful lot, still don't.
0: So, this is true. This is absolutely hundred percent true. Bert Shaveloff was directing a version of the Frogs from Aristophanes, which is a musical that basically talks about Dionysus, the god of drama, traveling to Hades to bring back uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw back from the dead um, to help the world and save civilization. <laughs> Sondheim came in. Sondheim came in and wrote some songs. And it was performed originally in the Yale University Gymnasium swimming pool in 1974. But here are three names of participants who were in the production's original ensemble:
4: Ethan Lane.
0: No, 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 no.
4: Okay.
0: Uh, Christopher Durang.
4: What? That's hilarious.
0: Sigourney Weaver.
4: Wow. Okay.
0: And Meryl Streep.
4: Yeah, no
0: what you were thinking about is it then got produced on broadway in 2004 and nathan lane revised the 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 book but again i don't know much about the frogs it's kind of silly (laughs) (laughs) Um, um you know, uh, and it was hard trying to find a song that I liked on these because I listened. So I will Sondheim. say I have been listening to nothing but Sondheim, and it's hard to find a song that I like in this show because even the song, there's a song called The Frogs where the frogs show up and start singing about, you know, uh, where are the frogs, where are the adorable frogs. <laughs> it's just like, okay, um, okay. I, I can I can only assume you know nothing about the
2: frogs. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, i was watching the 90 his uh, 90th birthday celebration re-watching it as i'm mm. sure many people have been and so nathan lean comes on i don't think he's saying but he just gave a little bit of a tribute and he said i worked with steve on the frogs that's right the frogs you <laughs> want to sing <take> it outside <laughs> it was hilarious it
0: was <laughs> um yeah, so there's not much to say about the frogs. So next, Sondheim. So again, if you're looking at Sondheim and wondering, what's he gonna do next? What's the next thing? What's, what's, what's going on next? <laughs> he decides to take a road down um, history, history musical, um, which was talking about the exploration of westernization of Japan. Um, by by Matthew Perry now I will say this is probably one of my favorite musicals of all time I love this musical and the one I the song I chose um, I don't know why I love this one <laughs> but I do find myself singing this to myself just randomly in any time so
3: it's called I, I have no why flying through the sky is not as swift as i am flying through my life you pour the milk before the tea the dutch ambassador is no fool i must remember that
0: So yeah, basically, Pacific Overtures is um, what is considered the dark side of American imperialism because it's basically Japan was uh, a furo at the time, and so they didn't ha- they they basically were isolationists and stayed to themselves. Matthew Perry insisted on trying to trade with them, and initially it was the idea that no foreigner could step foot on Japanese soil. So they built a treaty house, basically with a bridge going from Perry's. Um, boat on into Japan, so basically he was coming into Japan, but he was not setting foot on Japanese land, so everything would be fine with the gods. And there was some discussion, there was some talk, yada yada yada. Perry leaves, and they thought we're done, we're good. Well, the minute America did it, British decided they were tra- they wanted to trade with uh, Japanese, uh, uh, the Dutch the french the the germans everyone and then it slowly opened up and it then the idea in the show is that it then allowed them to gain more confidence so that they were then going to do the same for their their fellow countries and that it's basically kind of assumed at the very end that had we not um done this we might not have had to deal with um pearl harbor hmm. which is actually not far from the truth um, so and this particular song itself and why i love this song is is this is the song that kind of is the growth of japanese turning from the samurai way and the original way to being more westernized and more you know he keeps talking about he has a bowler hat but it's he also talks about he has a modico he takes pills he, at the beginning, he has no wife, but then he has a wife, and he's now he's left his wife. Now he's living in a, up on a hill. So, um, mm-hmm. Lisa, I don't know if you know uh, uh, Pacifica Overtures at all. Not,
4: or, I know, <laughs> but now I'm so interested. I'm so interested.
0: It's really a good show. It's It's I love the show. I really do. It's it's hard to do proper because obviously it needs to be you know all. A, a a full asian cast but right, which right. but oh no wait I,
4: now i can hear you sorry okay i, <laughs> I was saying
0: but i was saying like if um if it can be done i think it should be done um because it's yeah. it's but it's very important and dark side of american imperialism
4: absolutely yeah i think that's really important and i think You know, Sondheim gets a lot of flack for writing shows for and by white people. (laughs) There's truth to that, but I do think that he handles, um, you know, the global majority with respect and, you know, um, intelligence.
0: Well, for the most part, yeah, he doesn't. The
4: underbelly of the American, yeah, you know, yeah. of, of imperialism. Yeah.
0: Oh, he's well, he's he, he's exactly he's taking to task American politics basically, yeah. and not really in that song, but in the beginning of the show, all the songs take from the tradition of the Japanese and that kind of monotone kind of modern modern sound of it so he does take into account and again content dictates form what is the musical problem that he sets up at the very beginning of the show The style of the show that then leads to the next the next bit um the next musical is that in spades it's basically at the very beginning, the, song, the show begins with a big, loud horn, and then goes into a deus Ares. and instead of a man coming in front of the audience and saying, I'm going to tell you this story, the man does not say, oh, I'm just going to tell you the story about this guy that I, that I knew. He comes up and he says, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Oh. When it's dark,
4: we'll take him out of the Now. What it is, when you get it, if you get it. Huh. Good, you got it. Take for
1: instance Mrs. Mooney and a pie shop. Business never better using ugly pussy cats and toast. And a pussy's good for maybe six or seven at the most. And I'm sure they can't compare as far as taste. Mrs. Lovett,
3: what a charming notion. Well, and a happy pats food. Now, as always. Mrs. Laman, how I live so without I you see. all these years, I never know. Think
1: about, about it, it like a gentleman or Cindy Kevin for what? a shape. Think about the sound of the world
3: out
0: there. What mystical? Yes, yeah, so we are talking about Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. To me, one of his crowning achievements as a composer. Yeah, absolutely beautiful score completely insular you know builds on itself and again has that rule of what is the musical problem of again the guy doesn't say i'm going to tell you a story about this guy i knew sweeney todd attend the tale of sweeney todd immediately as a as an audience member you're like okay i have to pay attention to what's being said because it's going to be said different than i'm expecting it it's not in modern talk it's you know and it's almost opera it's it's close to an opera only not quite as sondheim has said um and it's one of my favorites and again the the dark side of america of human nature that people don't want to talk about the idea of revenge the idea of um you know uh, uh um really having that drive to want to do revenge and also hey cannibalism (laughs) um but anyway um lisa any thoughts on Sweeney todd
4: i agree it's one of his just uh crying achievements it's gorgeous it's gorgeous and it's so dark and so human at the same time and i think it's really an example of how he takes what is you know those things that we turn away from you know those impulses that we have as humans and, but also somehow melts them with these mm. beautiful
0: harmonies. Um, so yeah, and I think
4: he humanizes Sweeney too, enough. Mm. it's just what makes it so beautiful. So yeah. it, it's near
0: and dear to my heart. It, it is too for me. Uh, again, uh, 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 Sweeney is a dream role one of these days. I'd, I'd love to play Sweeney. Um, but yeah, and I, I find myself singing some of this to myself sometimes too. You know, a little priest, a little Um, But but this was kind of, I don't want to say it was his crowning achievement, but it was kind of where the peak hit because then with every, with every success, there has to be something that is not very successful, the next show was another one of those shows that In its first run was not very successful, it was very much lambasted by the critics it only lasted 60 performances, again for anyone who's interested in the the origins and the story there's a great documentary on. um, Netflix called uh, the best and worst thing that could have ever happened where money price um, basically takes you through the show. but it has since been rewritten multiple times. It has now since finally gotten the respect that it deserves. And so much so that I think, you know, yes, uh, Richard Linkletter is doing a movie version of it um, where he is actually filming it over a 20 year span and just have kind of like how he did Boyhood. Um, Mm -hmm. This of course is Merrily Reroll Along.
4: Mm -hmm. I'm not out to hurt you, Frank.
3: Do you still love me there we go.
2: not a single day
1: but you're somewhere a part of my life
2: and it looks like you'll stay as the days go by i keep thinking when does it end where's the day started forgetting but I just go on thinking and sweating and cursing and crying and turning and reaching and waking and dying and no not a day goes by not a blessed day
0: so Marilee on Sontime, so it was so lambasted and so ill-received by critics that Sondheim, he felt it was uh, uh, an attack specifically on him and Hal Prince that he said, had we been, (laughs) he said, had we been mavericks and starved, that would have been okay. Or if we'd been hacks and been successful, that would have been fine too, but they were mavericks were being successful and making money and that did not sit well with the theater community at that time um but merrily we Roll along i think is again another crowning achievement and it's there's so much heart there's so much love there's so much youth in it that you forget that sondheim i think he was like 50 something or 40 something when he wrote it so it's it, it has so much love and hope um i can't imagine you you probably know a good about about marilyn Rolong. have you Have you bit. done the show have i done
4: this one yeah i haven't done this one no uh, but i was just listening to the song and thinking it would be a great audition song <laughs> because you can really tell the story and act the crap out of it which i love <laughs> so, anyway. one, of,
0: one of one of the the um, greatest performances if anyone wants to look it up is internet peters playing it you were mentioning the uh 80th she's a goddess and not only that it was only months after her her late husband had died in a uh, in an accident so she's sitting there she's crying during the whole thing and you cannot think that it's not affecting her as an actress I mean all these hit hit us pretty easily us being performers and what have you Mm -hmm, you gotta use it all yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the failure merely affected Sondheim so much that he actually was ready to quit theater and write mystery novels or even do video games. And he just, he just needed to get away from everything. But this is when Q entrance, James Lapine comes in. Mm-hmm. And they sat down after Sondheim had seen a off-Broadway play that he had, he had done. And James Lapine has said very naively, he says, well, Steve, I think we could sit down and write a show that would be popular and successful. And Sondheim's response was, well, I would never do that. <laughs> and so, so the show that they did was, it's a show that is, this one is, the, is very, very close to my own heart and is one that I can't watch there was a PBS um, filmed version of it. And I can't watch it without bursting into tears multiple times throughout the whole show. Uh, this one, of course, is Sunday in the park with George.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and me pal. Second book. flapping, yapping, Rough. chicken, pastry, yes, she looks for me, good, let her look for me, to tell me why she left me, as I always knew she would, I had thought she understood, they have never understood, and no reason
0: that they should. But if anybody could. So the song, Finishing a Hat, is essentially the idea of anyone who's ever tried to create art, I have to finish, I can't go to dinner, I can't go out, I can't feed the dog. I have to finish this half i have to finish, and it's not just obsession because in the show they talk about the dark side of artistic obsession and and what have you but it's it's literally just wanting to get it right and wanting to be there and when you're in the zone again lisa's a writer too when you're in the zone nothing else exists except what you're doing and that the fact that you're creating you're creating grass, trees, and buildings where there were no grass, trees, and buildings, and right. this sh- this show talks about that incredibly. But it also talks about what to do after you've done y- your work of like, okay, so what is the next thing? How do I move on to the next? Move on to the and it's it's about it's about artistic endeavors, but it's also about what is the next thing after that. Um, Lisa, do you have any? You probably have thoughts of this one.
4: Oh my goodness! Do I have? A, I listened to it today. I listened to it <laughs> yesterday. I freaking this is probably um, now that I'm a grown up. I used to love Into the Woods, and I still love Into the Woods. But I think that this, where I am in my life right now, this one really hits me. Um, yeah, look, I made a hat where there never was a hat. It yeah. hits me. and um, move on is one of those other gorgeous songs. You know anything? You do let it come from you, then it will be new. Give us, yeah. Really, you know, that's that's what it is to be an artist—trusting, you know that. Um, but I got to play Dot in a review, uh, so really. I didn't get to play. I didn't get to do the whole yeah. show. But as a freshman in college, I was Dot in a review, and I um, got to do Color and Light, and we did Sunday, and um, that experience is like burned in my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would gosh, I would love to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. to Do it again. Yeah. Georgia's, Georgia's- songs, both of their songs are just uh Speaking of journeys, you know there is oh, so much yeah. emotion and there's so much discovery and there's so much their their relationship is so raw and real. Yeah,
0: and, yeah. And, and and starting off with just that idea of he's sitting there sketching her and she's all she is is hot in the sun on the sunday yeah, with sweat pouring. <laughs> and,
4: she's with, and yeah. it's you know it's such a funny show too it's like yeah. things on him doesn't often get enough credit for being hilarious <laughs>
0: well just just and, the whole idea of the act to opening with them still being hung in the idea of that they're going to be there forever you know and like what would they talk about? It's hot up here. It's hot, and it's monotonous, and all this, yeah. <laughs> all this, and and putting yeah. it together. Right. And putting it together is one of the greatest songs there of what it takes to do art. It's not just because to me the first act is basically creating and doing the art, like the actual artistic side, and the second act is dealing with the commercialism and the oh, yeah. unbelievable amount of. Detail funding everything that goes into being able to continue to do um, art, and then deciding for yourself what is the next thing you're going to do, which is the biggest mm-hmm. question, obviously. And I think it was Sunday is right up there with Tick Tick Boom, which is probably why Jonathan Larson references Tick uh, Sunday so much in Tick Tick Boom, um, yeah. yep. which we which. Definitely well exactly uh, for those who uh, who, uh, who, who uh, listen to this podcast all the time we will get to talk to Tick uh, Tick, tick Boat my promise
2: <laughs>
0: alright so the next show um, uh, Lisa kind of alluded to it but here we are
1: no more questions please no more tests comes the day you say what more No more. They disappoint, they disappear, they die, but they don't. What? They disappoint, in turn I fear, forgive though they won't. No more riddles. No more jests. No more curses you can't undo, left by fathers you never knew.
2: No more quests. So
0: Into the Woods, obviously, Uh, the second one that Uncle Pine and Sondheim did, Dark Side of Fairy Tales, basically. Even though fairy tales themselves are pretty dark if you read the original versions of them, but this is fairy tales by way of questioning what is a happy ending and what results in a happy ending. Does a happy ending basically end where you finish one thing and you achieve this goal but what's the next step because there's another goal and there's another goal and there's always the next thing and the next thing and again sondheim with these endings he does not believe in endings even at the very end of this you think it's an ending of like you know okay the baker's gonna uh uh raise his son by himself and he's got cinderella and all and and uh And them and they're all going to go forward and things going to be fine and he's going to just keep telling the story and you know okay for what you say. And uh, if we have to go back into the woods we go into the woods, but the thing that people forget is at the very end Cinderella has the very last line of I wish and it's like to me it's circular because it's going to start all over again it's the next it's what's going to happen next
4: this. Yeah. and this thing happens in sunday in the park with george the first few lines come around and are the last few lines as well
0: absolutely anyway. absolutely yeah exactly and and it's also about generations it's about fathers and sons what yeah. and mothers and daughters and it's about what did the generation give you to then continue on your quest and in this particular song, No no More is the moment where the baker is basically given a choice to run away like his father did or stay and break the cycle and do something different. And it's absolutely beautiful the way Sondheim does it in the sense of the father basically saying, yeah, we can do this, we can do that. But the trouble is son, the more that you run, the more you'll feel undefined, just more questions, different kinds. And again, people don't talk about his lyrical abilities. Of the fact that that was so simple ideas, but the way he says them, it's like, how do, how do, how do you, how did you not, how did I not think of that before or something, <laughs> <But> <laughs> you know?
4: Yeah. Your heart knows it to be true, but yeah, yeah, it's like he needed to say it it's for you.
0: Ex- exactly, but um, yeah. Uh, I, he was saying Into the Woods. I know you, that was one of your I favorites. I have
4: so many feelings about this. Um, but I think I'll just talk about the witch because she is so interesting. I personally love the idea of witches. I think witch lore is fascinating. Um, but one of her, you know, she's so many great lines. But one of my favorite ones of hers is um, yes, um, uh, You're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. I'm not. I'm not bad, I'm just right, I'm the witch, you're the world. Yeah. And um, I think that there's so much truth, really, to that. Um, And especially for, you know, I'll speak as a woman, a woman who dares to not be nice, you know, and to, but to be good, you know, and truthful and brave um, is difficult. And, you know, you can see how a woman who does that would be labeled as a witch. <laughs> um, so I as yeah, as a as a spirited woman myself, I really appreciate her and it's one of my one of my dream roles, absolutely.
0: Yeah. You'd be a good witch. You'd be a dang you'd Thank be a dang you. good witch um, Thank you.
4: Well if you'd like to direct it someday. I would love to be in it. And Bernadette slays it. You know, I mean crushes yeah. it, of course. I don't know.
0: Would I Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever direct it. I don't know i i'm kind of if i'd rather be in it either as the baker although i'm again getting too old to be him but i if not the guy. mysterious <laughs> man I'd, I'd love to play the the father yeah. role um especially now being a father now i can I relate to that a little bit more um yeah. yeah so with the dark side of art artistic endeavors and the dark side of fairy tales you think sometime couldn't get any darker but oh boy does he instead of going right to the he goes right to the jugular, um, and teamed up with his re-teamed with his uh, book writer off of uh, Pacific Overtures to do a musical that would take multiple years to finally get onto Broadway itself. But when it did, it hit a huge impact. This is Assassins. I have some place
3: to go. Don't I get a prize. I did it because they said I'd be ambassador to France. I did it so they'd suffer in the North the way we'd suffered in the South. I deserve a fucking prize. I
4: did it so be a trial and Charlie would get to be a witness and he'd be on TV and he'd save the world. Where's my prize? I did it to make people listen. Then be you wouldn't take prize. My-
1: a little moment and you stirred a little mud but it didn't fix the stomach and you've drunk your final bud and it didn't help the workers and it didn't heal the country and it didn't
3: make them listen and they never said we're sorry yeah, it's never gonna happen
0: is it? so this is uh another national anthem uh from the musical assassins assassins again big favorite of mine, basically talking about the uh, several different uh, attempts of um, uh, assassination attempts on both successful and not successful on presidents of the United States. Here's the the dark side of it. At the very beginning, they talk immediately about the right to be happy. Everyone has got the right Mm -hmm. to be happy. Mm -hmm what is the dark side of that at what point do people go over the line and and to question in this particular song they they're talking about prize well i want to do this i want to do that i thought i had the freedom to do this and do that so it's almost the dark side of freedom to a certain extent but to a really dark side of the extent um and Again, uh, assassins will be covered, uh, in it's entirely in the future. But the only thing I will say is, in my head, I have a full movie version of this of this piece. I really want to do this as a movie, because it takes place in the basically in the base in the underground carnival that they're trying to win a prize. Um, but it's so brilliant, and Sondheim has said that if he had to choose one show that. From beginning to end, was immediately what he wanted and what he wanted to say. This has this would be this and Sweeney Todd are the two shows that he points to as the shows that are exactly how he intended them to be and how they, um, you know, how proud of proud of what they're trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know Assassins at all? I was in
4: Assassins. I was oh. I was a bystander back in the day, but I got to be in those. You know those numbers. Um, another national anthem and um, the right to be, and it's just um, really so true. I mean, gosh, t- timeless because yep. as long as America is around, assassins will be true. I mean, it's really about the emptiness of the American dream, Yeah, you know, and we're all promised something, but it's actually what happens when you don't get it, you know, Yeah. and um, really there's a lot of rage a lot of rage in this show and um it's it's quite understandable but he makes the rage um somehow really vulnerable and you yeah. know, you, you root for these assassins in, in a way Probably
0: and also way. and also looking at his entire catalog i think this is the for this is the one and only show that has the f word in it
4: <laughs> yeah, you, yeah i,
0: I think, think it right. is I well, the one that <laughs> he, he uses yeah
4: Yes, and um, it comes in pretty strong. I mean, it's not like
0: one time, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, basically. But yeah, it's it's yeah, pretty yeah. pretty pretty um right there. And he, it's right acc- there. he it well, it's accented too. <laughs> it's not just like thrown in there, like oh, blah blah blah. It's, it's like, like it's accented
2: I know
4: it's, in, it's in monologues, but it's in yeah. the lyrics as well. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. And, I mean, content dictates form, right? I mean, exactly. you, if you're thinking yeah. a show about The Empties of the American Dream, about rage, you got to have an F-bomb in there. How
0: can yeah. you not? <laughs> it's, it's, absolutely. So with that being the dark side, what would be the next show that he would do? Well, he decided to do something completely different and do an unabashed romantic musical, which was based on a movie that he had seen where he basically was like, you're not gonna make me believe that this guy is gonna fall in love with this particular girl. Spoiler alert, he does.
4: Fosca,
3: Fosca. I'm sorry to surprise you like this.
2: Thank you for coming
1: wanted
0: you to know that I had nothing to do with that transfer. I know that now. The doctor told me. The this is Passion, so I'm about to, um, um, It's over. Lisa had to leave, but this is Passion. This was the last of uh, Sondheim and Lapine's uh, collaborations based on Passé de moray And it was, was the shortest running show, but it's one that m- means a lot to Sondheim. He really love this and put a lot of passion huh, into this musical, so much so that um, the word was that he was offered another musical after this by Hal Prince, but he declined because he just couldn't go into it um, with what it had happened um, with the show being ill-received, even though he won a Tony for it, it still wasn't successful and didn't make back its money. Um I don't know too much about this particular show. Um, but I, I'd be interested in learning more about the show. I have the um, the album somewhere in there, so I might listen to it at some point, especially with all this uh, archiving of Sondheim stuff. Um, and then the last show that I'm going to talk about, and again, about later in the future episode, is um, a show that took him a long time to... Um, to try to get down. Basically, he had started it in the late 1990s and it went through several iterations until finally in 2008, it premiered on Broadway and was very well received. This is Roadshow, which came out of Bounce, which came out of Wise Guys, and this is the best thing that has ever happened. Home. the best thing that ever has happened to me, you are. Okay then, one of the best things that's happened to me, you are. They say we all find love, I never bought
3: the goddamnedest thing that has happened to me ever when did i have this much happiness happen to
0: me never i can't believe so again with uh this was with uh john Wyman and this is again american history and this again talks about the dark side of the american opera to the end, I've been going for about an hour and a half and um I'm very thankful that Lisa came and uh, uh, John Bishop dropped by. Um, so I'm going to finish off now, but I'm going to leave you with um, a song that, um, again, it makes me cry every time I hear it, but it also makes me just think of Sondheim to the nth degree, to say the least. Um, So wrapping everything up and putting a bow on it, as it were, Stephen Sondheim not only informed musical theater to what it is now and is an absolutely amazing and important um, person to be remembered and that he always should be remembered and he always will because of this. But he also encouraged other people. He was a mentor to Lynn manuel and Jonathan Larson and uh, Adam Ghetto and you know uh, Jason R. Brown. He, he has inspired so many people to on how to write musicals and how to do it. And myself included, I read his ep- excerpts and listen to his masterclasses. And, take whatever I can in terms of learning how to do this gig from him as much as I can. And I do it every, every time I sit down, I, I, every time I sit down to write, I immediately think of, of him. And, um, I wish I knew him. I will say, I'll say two things to finish everything up. First of all, I was able to write to him, and I did receive a response. I don't know where the letter went. I need to find it, but I did receive letters from him, um, encouraging, very encouraging and very, you know, keep writing, keep working kind of thing, and, you know, he would even just that little bit meant a whole lot to me, and... Um, I will announce that I am currently working on a Sondheim podcast mini series, which will dramatize moments of the creative life of Sondheim from West Side Story through Roadshow and even, you know, uh, uh, you know, not obviously up to his death note. I don't know anything about that, but I will be, I am currently writing it and that will be out at some point probably next year. Um, Kind of done like I did, movie critics. Um, but anyway, for anyone who's listened to this episode, thank you so much. Um, I know someone said because Sondheim was Jewish, you don't say rest in peace, but Godspeed. speed, Stephen Sondheim, the uh, musical theater, thanks you, and we are humbled by you, and I can only hope that you're up there writing for God now, and continue to shine on all of us. Um, as he believed, believes that music uh, music continues on and goes on, um, he will be forever remembered, and this song, especially.
5: When you're looking to plan your next Disney World, Disneyland, or Disney Cruise Line vacation, we suggest you reach out to Danielle Elliott at Marvelous Mouse Travels. Danielle is a long, uh, lifelong Disney enthusiast, a former Walt Disney World cast member, and a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge. When you book with her, your booking includes 100% free concierge level services, uh, some of which include customizing the perfect Disney vacation package for you you and your family and your budget, uh, booking those difficult to secure fast passes and dining reservations, uh, providing tips and tricks to get out the most of your vacation and more. Uh, Danielle also monitors Disney promotions to help you save money. For those uh, Disney trip veterans, still be in control of all the details. Danielle will take care of all your needs so you can have all the fun and truly say akuna matata throughout your time at Disney. Contact her for your free quote at danielle.elliot at one word, dot com or by messenger, messen, messaging her on her Facebook page.
2: What would you
4: give to never have to worry about the way your body looks ever again? Hi, I'm Jackie, body image expert, confidence coach, and owner of Confident Girl Hotline. We are here to help you heal the relationship you have with your body by healing the trauma in your body that has been inflicted upon you by the diet and wellness industry. We do this through
5: somatic healing.
4: We are running one-on-one sessions virtually, group classes, and even doing workshops for both adult women and teen girls. Please check us out at www.confidentgirlhotline.com. We're also on Instagram and TikTok.